This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Brian Pearson. This is Fuck Bubble. Each episode, I'll be reading a chapter from my nonfiction manuscript, Fuck Bubble, to a close friend. Fuck Bubble is the near 20 year true story of a 1999 hookup in New York City that morphed into a deep but often turbulent friendship that got even more complicated after an unlikely encounter in the desert. It's a story of serendipity and how revisiting the past can sometimes set oneself free in the present. Weaving the personal with the historical, Fuckbubble also documents certain aspects of gay life in America from the 1990s till now. If you like Fuckbubble, please rate and subscribe. If you'd like to find out more about my writing or to support the podcast on Patreon, check out my website, brianpearson.net slash writings. Thanks. And thanks for listening to this episode of Fuckbubble. There's a documentary called Sherman's March. It came out in 1986. A filmmaker named Ross McElwee made it. He was in grad school at Columbia in New York City, but he was from the South. And his intention was to make a documentary about the South and its relationship to the Civil War. That didn't happen. Right before he was set to begin making this documentary, his girlfriend or fiance dumped him. And the documentary became about these different women he met traveling around the South. He went down to see his family. And I I think his sister suggested that he use his camera to meet women. (laughs) And he ended up meeting profiling. They're like portraits of four different women that he met along during his travels. Um, And I saw this documentary, you know, years after it was made, but it resonated with me. Uh, I think because when I was 14, um, I moved with my mom to Jacksonville, Florida, which in many ways is like the deep South. It could be Alabama or Mississippi with a beach. I mean, I guess Alabama and Mississippi have beaches, but you know, like coastal Florida, uh, but it's very conservative. It's, it's as far from you know Miami as you can get. Back then, it was probably the most conservative big city in Florida, and it came with a certain vibe, a certain mood. You know, like the South is can be very I don't know the the look and feel of it, the humidity, the heat, the people, like the back then, the big hair, the the cars people drove, all of that. When I watched this documentary, I was like, wow, it takes me right back there. And I had gone down because my I, my brother, my older brother um, suffers from mental illness and it was getting really untenable. His, his illness was really manifesting at that point. Uh, and my mom and I, just so that I could finish eighth grade in peace, went to Florida where my mom grew up, my family, my mom's family, you know, like pioneered Florida. So it's a place that I'm really familiar with, but I didn't really understand Florida 
until I went down there and lived there and my mom's, you know, old high school friends who had never left. They were the Debs that married the, their high school sweethearts who became doctors who, you know, divorced them or they married major league baseball players and they divorced them. So there are all these women that these kind of glamorous women that my mother knew and all these little Hello, it's me coming to you from the future, from the future within the context of this podcast. I recorded that introduction back in November or December of 2022. It is now May of 23. I'm about to release this episode. This is episode four of Fuck Bubble. I will be reading chapter four, Golden Path, from my nonfiction manuscript, Fuck Bubble, to my friends Paulina and Mr. M down in New York City. They're in their little West 57th hideaway. I'm here to rescue you from the remainder of that introduction. I think a little biography is probably good. It's probably helpful to somebody like yourself who may not know me personally. Um, but I just kept going on and on and on about this particular documentary and kind of loosely tying it to my little podcast. I wasn't comparing Sherman's March, this brilliant documentary to my little podcast, but I think at this point making the podcast, I started to feel less like I was making a traditional podcast, more like I was making a documentary. Not that I've ever made a documentary, but I recall doing the edit for this episode and wanting to leave things in because it kind of maintained this feeling this mood that I was getting from it. So that's all I was trying to say. Uh, and I just, it would have been another 10 minutes of you hearing about it all. So I'm, I'm going to save you from that. Uh, you know, if there's one thing I could do, uh, like go back and to go back and like tell my younger self some advice, it would be to be less verbose just to get to the point. And I'd also recommend anybody, you know, instead of spending thousands and thousands of dollars on therapy, it's just like do a podcast and then edit it. Cause then you'll really hear yourself. And it's like very cathartic and cleansing and, you know, purifies the air. So here's my conversation with Paulina and Mr. Marvelous. It was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. We met, I met Paulina first through a mutual friend. Um, this guy, Ray, who I met in San Francisco and dated briefly. I met Paulina in LA. Ray, whose nickname was Papa Fresh. He was, he was wild. You'll hear all about Ray. Um, and then we had a really, uh, I thought deep, you know, insightful, just conversation after the reading about relationships and letting, letting go and moving on and all these things I didn't necessarily do, uh, properly <laughs> at certain points in my life. Here we go. Episode four, golden path. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Brian Pearson. This is fuck. Ball. Right. Have a good time. Yeah, we'll be yeah, here. We're, we're not, not leaving. We're not going anywhere. Bye. My God, that's so crazy. He's just walking out into the city on his own. I mean, I mean, it's great, but it's like the passage of time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, he he does it every day to to go to school. So I guess you know we're getting getting used to it, but it's still it's weird, you know, like. Right. To think of him as a human and not just your child. <laughs> in the world. Yeah. In New York City. 
Yeah, totally. Let me, I'm, so I'm going to, can you guys just talk for a minute? Cause I want to, yeah. I'm going to stop this recording and just, I just want to test it to make sure. Yeah, sure. So just um, tell me how your trip, did you guys have a good trip? All right. Bye buddy. Yeah. Uh, the trip was good. It was uh, a lot of like, it felt like planes, trains and automobiles <laughs> a little bit because you know, um, get to the airport, take the plane down, then take a ferry over, then back in a car. And then we chartered a fishing boat to go out, which was a total disaster. Oh, no. <laughs> but so it was a lot of travel, but the, the hotel itself, our room was fabulous. It was, really? it was, it was like a thousand square feet with our own private terrace or let's two see, terraces, two terraces, it was like two levels. And the water was beautiful. It, you you would have loved it, right? It's, it's a real guys thing. Like Bo and I had such a great time because it's on like a cliff, and they have these. Um, you can swim along like the rocks, and they have these little like caves with a sand bottom. And mm. I brought Indiana. Yeah, and I, Paulina sent me um, <laughs> uh, some pictures, and I didn't know Anguilla looked like that. I mean, I don't have any like mental image of what Anguilla looks like. Our, our room and the beach and the water, like, and and then Allie, when because Bo's old enough to watch Indiana too, <laughs> Bo was watching her, and we had some some nice meals. We had a lot of fights too. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, well, I, went, was... I came down with three, uh, four T-shirts. I came back with one left that was not ripped <laughs> from the fights. Yeah, if you can believe that. He would he would be trying to like walk away from me, and I would I would like, grab his <laughs> I'm like, shirt. I'm done and with he this conversation, keep, and he, would, he just ripped. He you just ripped walking. your shirt, like you just ripped my shirt. <laughs> I have a funny story which I, I want to tell. Went about like when you guys first met that involved me getting physically hurt. For <laughs> oh, really? Oh, do tell. When I first found out about you, Mr. Marvelous, I call me Mr. Staying, M for sure. Huh? Call me Mr. M for sure. Call M, Mr. M. There we go. I was staying with Paulina. I think I was living in Sag Harbor at that point and I'd come in for like a few days, you had, you guys had just met, like you had gone out to LA and you guys met at the Chateau. You texted Paulina, Mr. M at like, I don't know. It was like five in the morning, New York time. I think we had been like, you know, had a little bit to drink the night before and I was sleeping and she's like, he texted me and I don't think you had your top on or anything. And it, I just wasn't, I was dead asleep and you woke me up and I was like, ah, and my head hit your head and you went flying back. <laughs> and that's when I knew that you were special, Mr. M, that you were going to last. God, what a, like a three stooges act. <laughs> funny. Did you bleed? I don't, I was more concerned for Paulina because she hit the floor. And I, <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> and their phone went flying. So yeah, that's how I, that's how, um, you entered into my life with a headbutt. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. A headbutt. But now we have the buoys. Now we swim to the buoys. Yes. Yeah. So Fabiano says, hi, he's already been on the podcast. Oh, hi. Um, and yeah, is he the were, one crying in the car waiting for you? That was Andreas. He's going to be on the podcast. Andreas, okay. Wait. Oh, when I've when you went up the mountain and they cry, yeah, the volcano, the guy was crying. Yeah, because he didn't know what happened. Yeah, actually, so this is the chapter I'm going to be reading to you guys is is that trip. But I don't know that story is also in my other manuscript, Waves at Night, which I think is the one you read. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I actually talk about 
running down the volcano naked and then poor Andreas being, you know, distraught thinking I had died. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I remember. That's that and the deer jumping through the window. I, 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 I yeah. really like that monologue. I was almost thinking of, right. of using that. Mr. Marvelous was almost thinking of using that as like his piece. You could. It's I was, I was going to, you know, call you Santos because I always thought you would make a great Santos from the hoods in the woods, which is this TV show that I wrote that. Oh, well, Santos my, has more than one meaning in more ways than, you know, happy <laughs> boarding school. Does it? Yeah. We'll have to tell you later yeah. when we're oh. not being recorded. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, no, so that, so, so let's start at the beginning. Okay. Okay. So I met Paulina. That was, I was visiting our friend, Ray, who you were working with. Here's your Ray. The one who used work. to smuggle like 99 tabs of E. Or yes. Of e and, his, and he, I remember him sitting there. I don't care. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> He's crazy. He is. He was, he was fucking fun. He was crazy. He was crazy. You could I met him not. when I was 24 at a club called liquid in San Francisco in the mission, which had a Monday night. It was a gay night and it was so good. It was like every guy in there was it was kind of mixed but was good looking and like hot and it was the people it was just a great music and he showed up and i saw him and he was like he was a year older than me so he was 25 i was 24 and i guess gay pride was about to come up was coming up and he i'm standing there talking to him i've known him 10 minutes and he was describing the shirt he had bought for (laughs) gay pride and it's it said usa and he was like it says you s a. I was like, and, <laughs> but he was, he was so happy that he got this shirt. Like it more wine. That's funny. U S A. So then, okay. So then, um, and Ray and I dated for a little while. Like we were, you know, both like again in our mid twenties and it didn't really work out, but we, remained friends um and kind of always we always kind of would bicker with each other and but we would go on these like crazy trips like we went to south america central america and we'd go on these big backpacking trips together he we drove all the way to cabo in his 1991 we did this in 2005 his 1991 forerunner which at every we drove all the way from la to cabo and back and we did mostly back roads dirt road and every stop sign every the car would conk out so like for 2000 miles um and at one point i literally had to jump out of the car because i was so nervous so we met in la because he had moved to la Mm -hmm. um is there some sound coming reverb well maybe i'm not sure okay do you hear yeah, is that me? Playing with silly putty for a second. Uh, but, oh, okay. But, um, I stopped. Sorry. Oh, you were playing with silly putty, putty, Paulina. Yeah, I just I tend to need I need to like always be doing something with my hands or like holding something. It's just an. Paulina didn't take her meds. She's highly <laughs> medicated. <laughs> okay, so we made meet up in uh, L.A. and you were working with with. Um, Ray at the time. Yes, yes. And 
I, he told me his work colleague was coming and I was like, Oh, Oh brother, you know, this is going to be, yeah. <laughs> well, we worked for this family and I was their personal assistant and he, he did some like bookkeeping and accounting for them. Oh, I didn't know that. So I mean, we, we sh- knew him beforehand. We okay. shared an office and he, like you were just describing, he, he would do lines but, off his no, desk. Or? Not, not that, but he definitely was not, like a, your typical office worker. No, he's, he'd, he'd he, be a fun, but scary person to hang out he, with. He, he showed yeah. personality, you know? And I, and so same, he was like, you want to come to dinner and meet my friend? And sure. Oh, that's how you met Brian. Yeah. 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 And we met and, oh, that's cool. um, that's right. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. In Malibu. Yeah. We went to dinner in Malibu. What we met up at, uh, Chalada, the Thai place in Malibu. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Moon Shadows. So this is like almost 20 years ago, 2003 or so. And I remember because we we were sitting there and all talking and then Bill came. And Ray was like, because he was trying to convince you to go to Burning Man, Paulina. That's right. And he was like, let me look into getting you a plane. <laughs> Do you remember that? Like charting you a plane like yeah. a hyper cub and so he left and he left us to pay the bill <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to find the plane yeah what a and great... he was being like super serious he's like i mean you know i mean i'm sure he just didn't want to pay the bill but he was like i'll be right back i'm gonna make a phone call somewhere <laughs> and just check into this plane because so but we met and then you moved to new york right with Jim, when you were with Jim, and then uh, it was a very film noir vibe I got from you, Paulina, from the beginning. I won't go into all that, but <laughs> um, and then you guys moved to New York, and we hung out. We went. We had this crazy night at the Rivington Hotel, right? Yes, like it was had just been built. Yes, and there was like a construction party, and we and you lost your phone oh, that God. night. I used to do that all the time, oh, every time having phone issues or I'd go into a pool unexpectedly fully clothed and with my phone in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But now the, the iPhones, they, they, they're waterproof. Yeah. I lost mine in Anguilla in, in the waves and I found it again. You like, found it? Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. He was like studying the wave patterns. I was in a cave. Like one of the, what, one of the things you swim around the rock and we were in a cave thing and it was really picturesque and, and a wave came out. I was sitting with Indiana and it took my phone away and I'm like, Oh my God. And so I was just like, okay, where if I were away, where would well, I take we, this phone? We tried to find it just by looking and, and we weren't finding it. And then, then it, some time had passed like three, five minutes and I was like, okay, well, don't worry. You know, everything's backed up to iCloud. Like, we'll get you a new phone. But he then he started studying, like, how the waves were coming in and going out. And he located yeah, it. And I found it. Yeah. It had gotten stuck in, like, an eddy, like a kind of oh whirlpool um, current. Were you guys on acid or something? <laughs> no. No, but we had mushrooms. Down okay. There. But we really didn't take them. What well, no, we did a little bit, I think. Yeah, we were. We we cr- I put them on the bottom of the bag so they like if anyone asks, it's just like dirt from our shoes that we're carrying or something. <laughs> no, you just like that's genius. Scatter that. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, we're not quite as bold as Ray. <laughs> yeah, we're not like Ray. Right. Like you know, he's Good. like holding a big middle finger up to TSA when he walks through <laughs> the security gate. He's like, I dare you to try to find something on me. 
So anyway. So anyhow, so yes, you had lost your phone and I had it. So like the next morning, because what happened was like I met this Sebastian took me to um this after party, after that party. So we had lost you, Paulina. Like we couldn't find you and you may have gone home or something. Yeah. And we went to this after party. It was like, you know, after four in the morning. So like you technically couldn't buy drinks. It was like in a room behind a bar somewhere in like the lower East side. Um, and we met these girls from Kansas and they came back to my place and we were up until like 11 in the morning. I was taking photographs of them. (laughs) And then you called and I was like, I was done. Like I was so exhausted by like noon. Uh, and then you, I think Jim called your husband at the time and was like, do you have Allie's phone? And I'm like, I don't think so. And then I looked at my, my jacket and I had your phone. So somehow I had ended up with it. And then you're like, can Jim was like, can you meet Allie at the Oak room at the Plaza <laughs> at like four or five? And I'm like, I don't know if I have, if I can make it to the bathroom, <laughs> but somehow, somehow I got up there and we had, it was nice. It was like a nice I guess it was like December evening and, uh, I had rallied and I was telling you about this like wedding in Brazil that I didn't think I was going to go to. Cause I thought it was going to be too expensive and everything. And you're like, no, we're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like the third time we've ever hung out. And you were so like, Oh, we're going to go. I'll make it affordable. We'll find something. And you found that fantastic, um, hostel in Ipanema. And we got, we flew down there on separate flights. So I was telling Fabiano, like, cause we left during a blizzard mm-hmm. and somehow arrived almost within an hour. Cause we're in Rio and you didn't even know if I was going to be there yeah. or not. I had and no then, idea like where we were going. You had all the itinerary and the plans and knew everyone. I was just like flying, flying blindly into Rio. <laughs> right. For the first time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that ended up being such a fantastic night. Cause we went over to see. Fabiana Wagner. I mean, the hostel was right around the corner from where they lived. Yeah. And then we, um, went swimming at dusk, you know, remember that? And then we went to the, I remember. And Rio is such a a beautiful city. Remember how Honolulu is where it's like the city comes right up to the beach. Yeah. That's how it is in Rio Rio too. It's like these, the streets come, they go right, right up to the beach. Yeah. Remember in Brazil that Brian couldn't drive stick? He didn't uh, want to, so he had to do all the driving, yes. Paulina? <laughs> oh, that was our second trip. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right. Well, I have driven stick. I just hadn't driven it in a while. Um, <laughs> it's like going to a bodega with someone. They says they can speak the language, and you show up like, what? I can't speak the language. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, that was in Uruguay. That was when we went to Uruguay. That's right, Uruguay. Yeah. And then that the same thing happened because after Uruguay, I went up to the Atacama with with uh, Andreas, and that's when the whole running down the naked volcano naked thing happened. Oh, um, I knew. It had- and he had to drive home, and that was a lot more driving. And he he got our car stuck on a boulder. And- <laughs> stuck like it was this boulder that was. I saw it, and we were kind of off road a little bit. This is in the Atacama Desert, and. I'm like, he's not going to drive over that big rock. And he went right over it and the car got stuck God. and we're in the middle of nowhere. And we had to lift to him. Like, you're not going to drive over that rock. You just thought he wouldn't drive over that rock. No, I didn't think he was going to do it. And, um, and he did. And then, so we had to, it took us like an hour to lift the car off the boulder. Oh my gosh. 
we did it like inch by inch or not even inch by inch. I mean, you know, Paulina, what else? Like, I feel like, Oh, so you've met Max So before we went to Brazil. Mm-hmm. I went up to see you guys mm-hmm. and we were leaving like the next day or something. And, uh, I, th- this is the time that I had just gotten back in touch with, with Mac. Like it had been five years or something. Mm-hmm. And earlier that year he had gotten in touch with me and we started our thing again. You know, we started hanging out again and we were together physically, but we weren't like boyfriends. And so we went, I I wanted you to meet him. Um, and we went and he, we went to, he always liked these shitty restaurants. Uh, and we, this was a shitty restaurant. I mean, it looked shitty to me. It was kind of looked like a Burger King or something. But it wasn't. It could have been good food. I don't know. And he was there and we walked in. And I, at that point, I really, I really thought I was really seeing Mac in a new light. And we were kind of connecting at a different level, like as creative people and everything. And, and I was really, we had this chemistry still, and I wanted you to like him. Um, even though you and I had just met, I was like, oh, you got to meet my friend Mac. And when we left, you're like, I don't like him. Yeah, you're just not into him. You you sense something. I don't know. Do you remember? Do you remember that at all? I remember meeting him, and I just I can't remember what I didn't like, but I I just he wasn't particularly friendly or warm. I remember he was older, and I I don't I don't know why, but I just yeah I, I remember not liking him. He didn't really have good energy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And I remember being the thing with Mac is that I remember at that time and over time, I I would see that there were two kind of two different sides to him. There was this really kind of craven sexual energy that he had. And then there was this artistic guy like Mr. M you would, I think have really liked him when, if, if, if he was available in that space, because we would go, I would go to, he would have these like, you mean I'd like him, what romantically? No. <laughs> no, no, you would like him as an, like a as creative a person. Yeah. Yeah. But like I think swim, swim to the buoy type of person. Like he, right. Swim to the, well, no, he wouldn't swim to the buoy. No, I'm speaking metaphorically. Like, like me, like his, just the, I think so. But it, it depended on like, I, I think when I saw, when, Paulina met him. And then later, a number of years later, when another friend of mine met him and they didn't really connect, it it was telling to me. And I think that, you know, he would have these potlucks in the city and he would have these great, you know, these friends come over and they had gone to, you know, school with him and they were in, you know, he, Mac was a musician. They were fellow musicians. They were creative people. And he seemed beloved, but to, to people, you know, people seem to really love him and he could be really warm and gregarious. And then there was another side to him that was really just like a shark. You know, we were talking about sharks earlier. That was just kind of looking ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, so I think that that was something I was discovering over time. And by the time that you met him, Paulina, I had already had like, he had already come and gone from my life and he had this, he was back again. Mm -hmm. Um, why don't I read this to you, Paulina? This is the second time we went to um, down to South America because we went, you know, twice. We went in twenty oh four, right before New Year's for Fabiano's wedding, mm-hmm. and then we went again a couple of years later. Um, 
down to like Argentina and Brazil and Uruguay. Mm -hmm. So this is the second time. And it was during our second trip at that party in Uruguay. We went to this mm -hmm. party in Jose Ignacio with my friend. I was telling um, Mariana. So Mariana was my friend on the last episode and I had met, she was from uh, Miami. And when I was 23, I met this guy, Chris, who is still a good friend. You met him and it was, yes. and we had, you know, back in the day before iPhones and even the internet, you could lose touch with people much more easily. So I had met him. I don't think I even had an email address when I met him in 1996, when I met Chris, but when I moved out to the Hamptons in 2006, 10 years later, he was my neighbor and he and his then partner were having a party in Uruguay. So we went to their party. Um, so this is about that party. And Again, just to, so and I'm also, I'm talking about Evan now. Uh, so Mr. M, I had, was involved with Mac, but not in a relationship. And then I met Evan, um, who, you know, was out on Long Island. You know about him. Yeah. And then yeah. you distance yourself from, from Mac and you were with Evan, but you would, you had this attraction to Mac still. So you would sneak back and. Yeah, I wasn't for a while. I wasn't even sneaking back. It was just kind of open. And then things got more serious with Evan. Um, but then Evan kind of it, things were always complicated with him. And this chapter is about sort of seeing Evan in a different light as well. Okay. So I'll just go ahead and read it. It's called Golden Path. Sounds good. Okay. Regarding Evan. I had attended a 2007 New Year's party in Jose Ignacio, Uruguay, where an unexpected conversation occurred. A number of New Yorkers were present at the party, including a man whom I had never met, but it turned out had known Evan years. I suppose Evan came up at all because I only had to mention a few of the reasons as to why I was living on Long Island. It was the fellow partygoers belief that Evan would never sever ties with his famous, much older ex-boyfriend, that they would be forever de facto boyfriends. I had met the ex a handful of times, always casually. I knew how omnipresent he was in Evan's life. I knew how important he was to Evan. The ex had opened doors, heavy doors with intricate locks. He had given Evan access to wealth and the upper stratosphere of the art world. And by the way, um, Mr. M and Paulina, I mean, I, I think you know this, that Evan's passed away. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Last, uh, last summer, a year and a half ago. Yeah. He, he <clears throat> OD'd, right? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I knew him, he wasn't, I, I didn't know that he was doing anything. I mean, it'd be rare if I ever saw him have a glass of wine. Hmm. So, um, but yeah. Um, so I'll keep reading. Mm -hmm. Hearing this all from a stranger, a hemisphere away from home was surreal, but made sense. It explained a lot. Evan was dependent on the ex, but he was not upfront about it. I had to figure it out on my own. Being swept up by his initial onslaught of attention made the quest, that quest harder, if not impossible. I didn't even know that I was on a quest. It was all that, it was all that disguised, and I was love blind anyhow. After Uruguay, I journeyed to other parts of South America. As it happened in 1999, my exhibition proved, uh, as it happened in 1999, my expedition proved supernatural. It was while running naked down a barren mountainside in the Atacama, a single cloud perfectly capping the eye-level volcano, and I named the name of the volcano, which is Sucubac, I can't pronounce it, Sericoc. 
Kaburr, uh, a massive setting Chilean sun cohabitating the sky, cohabitating the sky with the blazing comet McNaught. When I became emancipated from all sorts of mental bondage, including Evan Spell. Evan, the boy king who never grew up, had been enchanting, life-changing, gut-wrenching. He was an unlikely education. I felt led on by, by him, but was not mad. I was ready to move forward, and life was fantastical on its own. Fred's glistening eyes were beaming down from afar all along, guiding and protecting me, illuminating the golden path. Fred being the author from the book, um, you guys, I, yeah. So my last night on Long Island was spent saying goodbye to Evan at his new studio, a late dinner with a friend in Bridgehampton and a solo swim off Gibson Beach. Entranced by the low moon, I swam far out into its watery beams. The Long Island of making love in bedrooms where masterpieces had been written, of euphoric quietude and lustrous winters had imbued imbued in me her magic. I was 34 years old and it was time to move on. At the end of summer, at the end of summer, 2007, I left Sag Harbor and moved to LA. I I visited the East coast at least a few times a year. It didn't always happen that I was able to see Mac or wanted to see him. Seeing Mac meant schlepping to see him. It meant managing his still unabated desires. His goal was first and foremost to get physical. There was always the brooding gesturing and the blank stare of disappointment when nothing happened. By 2008, my first full year in LA, we had not had sex in a long while, perhaps in two years, since 2006. I was mystified by his inability to accept that we were no longer involved in that way. I was mystified by his inability to see that I had changed, that I had matured sexually and emotionally. When I spoke of men, of where things were going with the new guy I was seeing in California, I barely mentioned his being handsome. I spoke of who he was and what the relationship meant to me, what it could mean. Mac would only nod his forehead before uh, Mac would only nod his head before telling me that he had found sex during another unlikely scenario, like buying tacos. He was always finding like finding guys like in every just all throughout the day. And it seemed on those trips, when we did meet up, I would typically have something planned immediately after with another friend, a question, both of um, a question, both of time management and of managing's, and of managing Mac's expectations. After one too many trips when I did not see him at all, Mac said something. He went off on me over the phone, expressing his displeasure and his belief that I was outright trying to avoid him. It was the first time he'd ever lost his cool in that way. I was taken aback. I didn't think he cared that much. I told him that he was right in his thinking. I told him why. Our reunions without fail felt like would-be sexual encounters. We had not had sex in years, I reminded. He was doing fine on his own, I advanced. He never agreed to meet anywhere except his neighborhood, I chided. His feeling slighted may may have had may have more to do with being denied sex and being denied me, I suggested. I didn't want to be defensive, but I didn't want to mislead him either. I told him that I would be available without the caveat of sex. It would help if he would if he'd be willing to hop on the subway, visit me where I was staying, especially when I was only in town for a day or two. If I hadn't made this clear before, if empirical evidence had not suggested that sex was no longer in the offing, here it was now. I suggested Mac fly out to see me in Los Angeles. We could hike above Malibu or visit Joshua Tree. This never happened, nor did his joining me south of 14th Street. Mac would sulk but wouldn't budge. 
Before the call, I was beginning to view Mac as an insatiable friend who couldn't let go of the past. After the call, I wondered if he could if we could remain friends at all. I wanted to remain friends. I just didn't know if this was a fool's errand. I wondered if I even knew who exactly I was dealing with in Mac. I wondered if Mac knew much about himself beyond his erudition and consumption of men. As it had been nearly a decade before, things between us became tense. They went quiet. Unlike before, we never stopped being in touch. We spoke only on occasion, perhaps a couple of times a year. There was still something to admire about Mac. I just didn't know what to expect from him. It was only when our individual lives began spinning vertiginously out of control a year or two later did the friend I had always desired in Mac, not the fuckbug with the man's and finicky ardor, show up. So that's the chapter. It's a short one. And it's basically, you know, the end of a, of a physical relationship is what's happening. And like the long end, it's just taking forever. And I'm trying to like juggle. I think it's just kind of maybe modern phenomenon or maybe it's specific. I don't know to more to gay men or not, but to, to transition from, um, being intimate in some way, even casually to just being friends because you move on. Like I met Evan and I was trying to figure out Evan, like my mind was preoccupied for a while with Evan until that trip to South America, where I was like, you know, felt like I had enough information to, to do something and to, to not, to, to not waste time thinking about something, you know, mm-hmm. so have you guys ever been in a situation where you're try to maintain a friendship I personally, I've, I've, I've never, I never, I never maintained friendships with any one I was had a relation, intimate relationship with. Because really, I, I just, I, it's just too much, too much effort to, to. There's always some element that's, that is not genuine anymore because one person you obviously split for a reason and when you split with somebody it's never two people like oh this is the best and they're going to split one person always wants to keep it going for whatever reason whether right or wrong so there's always going to be the element like there's always reading the nuances the subtleties between your your interactions and there's always something that's just not you know, completely genuine and life's too short to, to have to worry about like, Oh God, take that the wrong way, this the wrong way. And you just, your, your foundation is, is just not solid anymore. It's shaky. It's like, you know, building on a bridge and it's going to collapse. Um, and I'm the opposite. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you, you, uh, Paulina, you really never, you know, Loved Jim. He was, you know, more of a father figure. That's not figure. true. That's oh, not. Oh, let me okay. speak for myself, please. Um, okay. I Jim really one of the main reasons that our relationship didn't work as a marriage was that I thought of him as a brother. <laughs> yeah, or a dad, right? I remember you dad. being like when we were hanging out. You're like, okay, dad. Yeah, he was. He was like a father figure to me. And so it's a little easier to have a, a friendship with him. Cause you guys are still friends. Cause yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah but come on. There's, but I agree with you. It's awkward. Sometimes. It's awkward. It's like, he's going to text you like, Oh, I'm thinking about you. And you know, 
sorry for thinking about you. Like out of the like, <laughs> does he text you that? Well, he did one time. No, he's been yeah. very respectful. I have nothing well, against he, him. I, sure, he keeps in touch. And yeah, that's fine. I, I he's a good guy. But I don't. I don't know yeah. what what his motive is exactly, or if it's other than just being nice. I suspect. So why waste energy and time on something that you you like you don't know and you can never know because it's was something else and it's not. It's just in my opinion it's best just to sever and clean go break. clean break and then you start something fresh and new you can always be friends like in a in a you know informal like hey how you doing or whatever but like to have any true like deep friendship with you know foundations and and yeah and someone to, to like to, to talk to and to bear your soul to, because if you ever called him and like had a problem that had nothing to do with him and it was very, um, you know, something, you know, close to your heart and he would probably take it the wrong way and you can't blame him. So it's like, you know, you're done with it. Just, just move on. That's, that's my theory. And I think my theory is right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah. I- I see both, you know, the, the guys that I have maintained the longest friendships with are guys that I never slept with. Um, there you go. And there might, there have been an initial attraction on for one of us or something, but, or that, that, or maybe we may have slept together once or something. And I think it's trickier with, with gay guys because, you know, they become like your family and, and, and these, you know, you might have a thing with somebody and then you might, it might end and, you know, it gets complicated. And like my, I wanted to have Mac in my life. Like, I just didn't want it being with him was always on his terms, like sexually. So it was like, he was much more open and he was wanted to have sex with, you know, more people. And I, and he didn't never wanted to be in a relationship with me. I think until maybe later, I don't know. You, you had a really nice line in there. His blank stare of disappointment. Um, that was a very nice line. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I, well, that's what it was. It was beaming at me no, for I, I can, many I, times. I can, pick, I can just picture that. Yeah. I can picture that look. And I think maybe that's part of why I didn't love him so much, meeting him. I think you had built it up. Mm-hmm. This is someone important to you. And I expected to be a little moved by someone who's important to you. And well, I remember you liked Chris a lot who had the party in Uruguay. Yeah. And he's fantastic. And you loved Fabiano and Andreas, you know, they're all great. And so I think you, I think you just had a, a really sharp intuition there and you were sensing something that I think I was, surprised that you didn't like, I wanted you to like him again because that's where he, I, that's what I kept doing with him to not only to you, Paulina, but to myself. And there was, I was seeing these two sides of him that were at once, like I said, he'd have a potluck and he could be so just warm and sweet. And he's so very, very smart. That's what I mean. Like, um, Mr. M, Mr. Marvelous that he, you would really intellectually, enjoy it and creatively like get along with him. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. But then, you know, it's like, I don't know. And it it was almost like he, I felt like he got into this mode of like punishing me for like, he would, he would get angry, you know? And it was like, I don't know what you're angry about. 
Well, uh, Brian, a lot of the most talented, like creative people, a lot of them, they're, you know, there's, there's, you know, as, as high up as you go is how low you will go too. like mm. these people that, you know, when you're with them, you, you feel like the sun shining on you when you have their attention. And then when it's not, you know, it's just the opposite. Like it's the same thing with their depth of feeling and how they can be so captivating, but yet there's always the underside to it. You know, there's always the other side. Right. So how great someone can make you feel is also how terrible they can make you feel too. It's just, that's a really important point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that's what happened with Evan too. Oh, the other yeah. line I liked when you said, uh, Evan, you're talking about his, his, his sponsor. <laughs> and, and then when you said you learned from him and you said an unlikely education, I think that's a great phrase. Right. Unlikely right. Education. Well, and I think that, I mean, I was talking to, to Rocky, who I believe will be on the podcast later. And I met Rocky, not directly through Evan, but through somebody Evan had introduced to me out on Long Island. And we were talking about him because, you know, he's passed away. And I, I mentioned this in the last episode. I, I mentioned, I said that uh, Evan has passed away and I didn't quite know how I was going to talk about it as the conversation, you know, what, as I read this manuscript, because it, the, you know, it's not necessarily about Evan, but I think we felt like both Rocky and I felt about Evan was that he was, um, you know, in this relationship, uh, with this, with this guy who, so I was never, I never really had a chance with him because this guy was like, gave him everything. Yeah. And, and yet I, I felt what you were just saying about, um, you know, him shining this light on me. I, I mean, I just felt like when I was in his focus, I was like, that was it. Yeah. And then he pulled away and it was just, it was the same kind of dynamic. And I kept between both, although I think with Mac, it was, Evan gave me more, you know, like he gave me, he gave me more of himself and it was a more intimate thing. Um, and we were exclusive and stuff like that. I, so I felt like I had more of a traditional relationship with Evan. And that's what I was looking for because I, I really thought Evan was a painter and, and, you know, Mac was a musician. And in both cases, like I, I felt, uh, some level of like, this person is for me. Like I, I felt like I understood them and, and that Evan was going to, in a create, not only have this physical relationship, but it would be like this creative, um, relationship we're going into you know at brian it's really hard to have two creative spirits especially if they're talented come together and really have something long lasting and sustaining because the artistic temperament just doesn't the artistic temperament lends itself to me being with someone like ali you know that doesn't have that desire to you know, well, Ali has more like Ali could run, you know, no, she FedEx if she wanted to, she <laughs> like she has a very, yeah, she doesn't want to be in so front of the camera. She doesn't want to be right, but she can read your stuff or my stuff yeah. and dissect it and like completely like say, this is what this is about. 
And, but I'm just saying being, and when you tie like, you know, emotions and, and, and sex and everything into a relationship with two artistic types, it's to me, it's a recipe for disaster. That's why you all see all, all these actresses and actors married three, four times, all this Elizabeth Taylor syndrome, you know, it's just, Mm. it's just, it's just not, they just don't sure there's great romance and great nights of passion and stuff, but then it's just, it's not a, something that's sustainable in the long run because, you know, in the long run, life is relationships are at work and effort and, and it's, you know, more bricklaying than it is, you know, fireworks. So you need, you need to be able to bricklayer with someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's the best way. A little masonry. That was really well said. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah you're, you're being way more articulate than I am. And <laughs> right, cause I'm drinking better wine than you are. <laughs> I'm for sure. I wonder what happened to Ray. Me too. He, the last time I saw him, we were on the rooftop of the, my LA apartment, the Villa Carlotta. I remember that night. That story. That's the last time you saw him. Yeah, yeah. he was going to go out or something, and he, you know, he just he has that like you know uh, he has like a striking, um, keen, malve- mal- how do you say malevolent? That? malevolent like look in his eye, but in like a not not so evil, but just like you know like. Naughty, naughty, mischievous. Yeah, mischievous. mischievous. Yeah, Cheshire cat. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That kind of you know swallowed the canary thing. <laughs> yeah. I saw him the last time I saw him. It was about ten years ago, and I had gone out. He had moved to Colorado to some little mountain town, and he and we needed to get groceries or something. And I went out for like a week. I didn't have I didn't have a car. I mean he he picked me up at the airport and we were going to go on all these like trips and we didn't end up doing around Colorado, but he wanted to charge me. Like I wanted to go and get groceries at the grocery store and he wanted to charge me to take me down to the grocery store, which was like 10 minutes away to get us groceries that I was going to buy, you know, like I wanted to buy a chicken and he's like, well, I'm going to charge you $5 to, to go down there. <laughs> I didn't, I, he didn't strike me as a, a, a stingy guy, but was he just poor or he, he... No, he's an accountant. He, <laughs> oh, he had, he's still like, like, <laughs> but we would have so much fun. Like he was, he was a guy, you know, he was like a, a gay guy that, and what I loved about him was his just willingness to do anything. Like we would go on these great ed trips that I I found were hard to go on with like other guys that I was meeting at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, since then, you know, I've met guys that, you know, that go hiking and stuff, but we were going on these great adventures. And I think right after I met you that night, we went out to De- um, Death Valley mm-hmm. and spent the night like on top of this dune. <laughs> and I think we did mushrooms or something. Um, but we were like, wa- I remember it was a full moon night. We were wa- in December, but it was really warm. And we were just watching like the, a car from like 40 miles away, traversing the desert floor. You just see this one wow. set of light um, headlights, like just slowly make their way toward us and then kind of disappear. That's so cool. Yeah. I have pictures of us that night. And he was like, he was really fucked up that night. I mean, he was, then we went like down into the desert Valley and I'm like, 
Right. I don't know if this is a good idea because <laughs> they're probably rattlesnakes and everything. And he's like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And it was then this like massive shooting star came and these mm. winds started whipping up. And, you know, we're like, it's the moon is out, but we kept falling into like what I kept thinking were like snake holes. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, well, let's. So we'll we'll we have see each other soon, one way or the other. And you have to let us know, like how we can consume this once it's available. Oh yeah, no, it's going to be available wherever you can get your podcasts. Some of my favorite memories of being out in the world of traveling involve Paulina and Mister M. Not long after we met, we started taking trips together. We went down to South America a couple times, as you heard us talking about. And it was really early on when I realized what a great conversationalist Paulina is. We were on Isla Grande, which is this island I first visited in 1999. And it's this large island, and you can trek like up and over these really lush mountains to these secluded beaches, and it would be hours and hours um, trying to get to this beach and we would just have the best conversations and it'd be monkeys and birds and bamboo forests. And Paulina would just tell me these stories and I would tell her my stories. And it was also like tranquil and meditative. And later we'd go out to far Western New Jersey to these like hidden places. I know about these swimming holes and there'd be nobody. And it would be like, you know, a hundred degrees and dusk and, hundreds if not thousands of fireflies and these streams with uh that were covered in moss and we would just look up at the silhouettes of the trees and i would tell her all about evan and the problems i was having and she would just offer the like sage advice it was also calm and easy uh and later when she met mr m you know we both loved to swim and we'd go like way way out if we were on the east end of Long Island or out in California, swim as far as we could go, beyond what even felt safe, and just have these fantastic conversations, then go back and have like steak salad. He'd make steak salad and negronis. And it was, conversations were always kind of like deep and went all over the place. So I'm, I think you got to hear a little bit of that in this conversation I had with them. So I'm just wanted to thank them both, Paulina and Mr. M, for coming on the podcast for coming on fuck bubble paulina's read everything i've ever written so there's that as well um next episode will be chapter five it's called shark i'll be reading shark to my friend mark charbonnet down in saint francisville louisiana it's a pretty consequential chapter in terms of just like my relationship with with mac both of our lives kind of blew up uh during this period I write about in, in shark. Um, my father passed away. My parents were in a car accident. My brother came back into my life. Mac had to, he had his own kind of, I don't know, to me it would have been traumatic thing with his family, trying to connect with his family abroad in Turkey. Um, and we became really close until we didn't until something happened, something he did one particular night in late 2011. And Mark, was there for Mark, who I'll be reading to, uh, at that moment. Um, so pretty big chapter and, uh, I'm excited to share it with you for now. Thank you again to 
Paulina, to Mr. M. Thank you to Danny Vitali, as always, whose music opens up each episode. If you'd like to find out more about Danny's music, there is a link to his website on my website. There is also a link to Patreon if you'd like to support the writing or the podcast. I guess they're one and the same. Uh, Via Patreon, you can do that. My website is brianpearson.net slash writings. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Next episode, Mark down in Louisiana. I'm Brian Pearson. This is Fuck Bubble. Take care. <laughs>